and welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Chris Kitchener. And me, Gareth. Come on. In this podcast, to be honest, if you've listened to them before, you know exactly what this is. We're exploring ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. And occasionally we are also lucky enough to be joined by guests. And in fact, this week is no exception. Following on from last week, we are very pleased to have back with us Douglas Waterfall. Hello, Douglas. Hello again. So since the last podcast, Douglas has been traveling the country, meeting with the prime minister, various other dignitaries, uh, probably writing important code, but we're very lucky to have convinced him to come back to Oxfordshire to record a second podcast. And I think where we left off last time, and yes, by the way, when I say last time, it was about 10 minutes ago, we finished this just to tell you, have we drawn the curtain back on the, the, the secrecy of podcasts? And we, we finished, Douglas made sort of a comment, which was talking about what does it look like um, when people don't get it, and, and correct me, Douglas, but I think the, we were talking about this idea of the importance of communication, and I think we told a story about how we had worked with teams where we had built credibility and we talked about things that were happening, and we were trying to bring them on a journey with us, and you sort of, one of the things that spun off was this idea of what what does it look like when teams don't get it? How do you know and what's the impact? So I don't know. Do you want to do you want to carry on that thought? Maybe the thought that that had triggered at me was was because of our time working with with teams that were you know 12, 12 time zones away from us was that we we you became very sensitive to whether people were doing what you thought they should be doing and you couldn't just sort of ask them or, or walk around the corner and see them and so you're the sensitive that that sense of like making sure. That they were doing it not to doing correctly but they were actually responding the way you wanted to do that became really heightened and it made you think about well, what does it look like when they're doing the right thing what's it look like when they're not doing the right thing i, I remember in and from an engineering standpoint it became very it was a bit much easier for me and one thing that i ended up doing was that we'd have a, a conference call every every week with some of the teams i was part of and i would i would talk to them for an hour and I would say, tell me what you're working on. Tell me how it's going, right? And uh, one of my general themes in that was, listen, at this point in time, I think you should be doing it sort of this way. But, it, you know, after a few weeks or months, you will know more about this than I do. And you can now tell me about how things are working. But generally, I'm looking for things that, you know, should generally look like this. And so when they would talk to me, I would listen to what their problems are. I'd poke at things and listen to it. And in generally, I may not know exactly working all the time, but you just sort of listen to the information flow. And then occasionally someone would say, and then I'm working on this. And you'd say, what? What? Wait, I don't think, given my understanding of the problem, that you should be over there. So either you found something else that I didn't know, or there's, there's something missing here. And, and the, the, the trust that we had built up allowed us to listen to people as individuals and know a bit about their personalities and, and be able to, to know when a thing started to look anomalous. So you could say, you've discovered something really important that I need to know, or you've I know why things. you want to do that. That's a great problem that you want to we are not going to solve that problem. Or what you don't know is down behind that door is a different solution that's going to be much better for you. And I'll tell you about that now. And so, you know, keeping people on the straight and narrow by being alert when they start wandering off the road became our one of the things that we had to do and to do that was about listening and thinking about imagining what was in people's head based on how they were behaving so this is unusual because we've you know we've in in various other episodes we've talked about measuring progress and so my mental model typically for these kinds of things were I would meet them every week and I would say, how many stories have you done? And, and how, mu how much longer will we take things like this? What I think you're talking about is a, a way more interesting and more upstream thing of, you might, be, you might have done five out of 10 stories in, in our software world of, of demonstrating progress, 
were they the right five stories? Did you, or are you going in the wrong way? So one of the problems in the software world and in product management is being surprised at the end. And so, so, the, so what I mean yeah. by that is we have to deliver this next week because people are waiting for it. And on the Monday morning, someone comes up and says, I'm really sorry, we're not going to make it. And so then you, you know, get distressed and you say, what am I going to do? The magic is when you can say, how could I have found out eight weeks ago that we weren't going to get yeah. there? It, it's very similar, your approach to a story I have about working with the intelligence fellow at three commando brigade so we would be doing operations normally these are exercises and, and practicing operations rather than actually doing it but we might be looking for the enemy in order to launch an amphibious assault to go and assault those positions uh, seize ground or, or whatever it was the intelligence analysts would say you know, this is what we're working on we've got this hypothesis we've got this theory that you know this is where we would be if we had their equipment we would be in this piece of ground up and it it was always really interesting because by their nature intelligence analysts are quite curious people mm. and they're quite diligent they're very analytical mm. and they take lots and lots of bits of information synthesize it and come up with these hypotheses and, stuff. and so the intelligence manager had this challenge of managing this group of people and focusing all their energy and effort on what was what mattered to us mm so that we would get the information as, as we needed it. And, and one of the fundamental tenets of intelligence is there's never enough of it. You never have it, you know, you never have a full answer, a complete answer on time. So you're having to balance making decisions on incomplete information, on assessment, on assessment that is based potentially on false information or incomplete information. And so one of the things that would, would happen is you would go in and say, what are you working on? And the intelligence analyst would say, oh, I'm, I'm looking at this particular problem set. And there was a, a quite a clever system. The questions that we had for the intelligence team, things like, you know, where are the enemy? What equipment do they have? You know, the things you would expect are put into a priority order based on the decisions we have to make. Huh? And then you could go in and, and the way it works is you, you would have a broad question like, where are the enemy? And they would work on that and break it down into lots of smaller questions. Like, what does the ground look like? Where is the ground passable? Where are the points that they would want to defend? And, and all of these things that they'd be looking at. And, and then they would direct our collection capabilities, our recce teams, our UAVs, you know, these, these sorts of things. And so you could go in and say, what are you working on? And they would say, oh, I'm looking at this problem set. And you say, where, where is that in the priority list? And if the answer was, oh, I don't know, then, then you force them to, you know, well, I'd probably grab the intelligence officer and say, why don't your analysts know what they're doing? But you get them to highlight where it was. And if it wasn't on the list, you knew one of two things had happened. Either they've gone off piste and they've followed you know, a hypothesis out of curiosity mm. that's interesting to them, mm. but isn't relevant to our planning and our operations. Or they've discovered something or potentially exposed a hypothesis that is relevant to our planning and we're not aware of it. And so at that point, you then have to reevaluate your priority questions and say, this new question is important, where does it fit? And having that constant conversation brought this group of people who were diligently you know working away in line with what we needed in order to answer our questions and that felt very similar but I think that's quite unusual and in in my experience of working with commanders in the military having been a commander myself and working with organizations since in the civilian world I think it's quite unusual that people will spend the time to sit down and try and understand where their people are, where they're working, where their priorities are, rather than just throwing more, you know, one-way conversation we, and direction. This is such a, and I, I, I feel it keenly in every job I've been in, which is we take shortcuts because we're in a hurry. It's not that we're bad people and we don't talk to other people. That's very rare. 
Um, although sometimes there's this slightly weird thing of, oh, we should just stop talking and get on with it. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, but I, maybe my point here is beware the being in a hurry. But you, I, you... I, I think I'm more cynical than you. I think there is more hubris and more arrogance in management than, than just simply letting people off with this idea that we're all busy. Because, yeah, we're all busy, but... But I think there's far more of the I'm in charge and I'm telling you what to do and that's all you need and walking away from so, it. So uh, directing passionate people is endlessly difficult. Yes. And redirecting them, when, when discovering what they're actually working on and, and, and redirecting them to something else is endlessly a challenge. And, um, you know, the hubris is like, oh, I, I know what you want to do. It's really clear. Go do it. It's like the software business there's lots of little details about how you might do that that, you, that the people above never understand. The nuance is gone. So you're having to sort of, I mean, engineers are funny because they, in my experience, they often feel like they're artists. And, yeah. and they get away with that because they're in high demand. And there isn't a lot of structure and training that would say, here's things you should do. And so yeah. they, they can manifest interesting behaviors around being you know, very egocentric and very overly passionate. And, and it's both a strength and a weakness for them. And to get them aligned to what you want is obviously the challenge. And what's it look like? And how do you, and if you could get this passion engineer who's demanding that you go work on technical debt and can you curve them toward your goal? Sometimes people would, I remember when we used to visit customers, they would say, I want a pony. And we'd say, I'm not gonna give you a pony. I they don't make ponies. And we would learn after a while that often how people would describe the problem here's the solution that would make me happy. It turned out that there was actually maybe many other solutions they never thought about, but that was how they described it. So engineers say, we got to fix technical debt. A unsophisticated product manager might say, we are doing that this week. A more sophisticated one might be, which, what parts do you, what do you think, which part should we work on? Do yeah. you actually have something specific that we could talk about? What exactly, it, it, well, it takes the, the, the battle to the home ground, which is like, fine, what are you recommending to me? But to sort of, there's there's some gold there if you want to go dig a little farther. But why are you off over here? This goes back to your thing, Gareth. It was like, you shouldn't be, you aren't doing the thing that I think you should be working on. There's a priority. You're off priority. The engineers are constantly off priorities. Tell me why. Maybe yeah. you've discovered something I should know. I mean, the answer is, I just got passionate. Damn, I'm so, I'm so there. I love that passion too. Do you think tomorrow you can get back to this kind of thing? So it's a very delicate issue mm. but to you know to get a sense about whether people are on track and 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 keeping them down the path but also realizing they will discover things that you never thought about when you started you 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 i mean you use this term hubris and i think we this is maybe this is sort of switching from the the people are doing the work to the managers <clears throat> Um, we, we've obviously recently had, um, uh, the, the, I don't know whether this is the correct term, the Ocean Gate tragedy. Yeah. The example of, um, people who were building a submarine and, um, it turns out that that submarine had a catastrophic failure. And I think the hubris is a really interesting thing to talk about from a leadership perspective. So we... A couple of episodes ago, we talked about um, Steve Jobs, but but we talked about Steve Jobs and we talked about both the positives and the negatives, sort of the, almost the hero and the villain of Steve Jobs about him. Yeah. But the the Ocean Gate, I think, is a really good example because there was a leader who, from what I can tell, so incomplete information, and I have to be very careful about this, but this was a person who said we're going to do this. In fact, it wasn't the, the, the person on the ground in the work that was passionate, it was the leader that was passionate and said, these things are not as important as other people might be telling me. So it's almost the reverse. Yeah. Other people saying, I, I believe there was a, a, an ex-employee who sent a letter saying, I am very concerned. You are building a submarine that is not rated to the depths that you need to go to. And I think you need to slow down and look. So I, I don't know. I went, when you talked about hubris, Gareth, I don't know whether that was there an element of, as you say that, this is a the recent Ocean Gate example is there. 
I, I agree with you. And I, I think, yes, we need to be quite careful about talking about it because we obviously don't have all the information. But it, it certainly seems like there's this idea, and I, I see this quite a lot working with managers in various different industries where there is an almost... Um, it is hubris. There's, there's an arrogance to the fact that I've got to where I am, therefore I must I must be good, and and therefore I don't need to listen. And, and what we've been talking about for the last few minutes, but also in the last podcast, was all about the importance of communication, two-way communication, listening and communicating, so that you can understand why people disagree with your position. And sometimes that's because they don't have a wider perspective. Sometimes it's because they have a wider perspective that you don't have. But having that two-way conversation and being humble enough, having the humility to understand that even if you're talking to a subordinate, that subordinate has probably more in-depth knowledge of a particular subject because they are good at their job is really, really important. And I, I see it too much where people assume that because they're in charge they they're right uh, and i think what what we saw with the ocean gate or what it appears to be is a an approach to innovation an approach to breaking the status quo you know forging ahead that that has got wildly out of balance with the assurance checks that have to be to have to take place when you're talking about something that if you move fast and break things with submersibles, you don't break a project, you don't spend money, you break people. And unfortunately, that, that's what happened here. And somebody uh, was, I was talking to the other day who, who is you know fairly uh, well versed in this field was comparing it to SpaceX and talking about the approach SpaceX took, have taken, because what SpaceX have done is broken the model of space exploration, building rockets away from the way that the US government did it, NASA did it, and, and largely the way that the international community looked at it. But they didn't take risk with people's lives. And so they moved fast and they broke things, but they did it, with test equipment mm. to get to a point where they're confident enough in the safety they also have external assurance so they they break the rules on how they get there they break the conventions mm. but then they say we have proved that this other approach works come and check it and that's how spacex has yeah and i i I think space exploration rocketry is probably very similar to deep ocean exploration. It's a high risk mechanical um, design problem set couched in this complexity of bureaucracy. And, and, and I think the divergence there is not recognizing the difference between breaking the protocols and breaking the process of how you get there and what there is. And it, and it strikes me that when everybody warned the, the CEO of OceanGate that he was taking risk, it wasn't a, we're worried that you're not doing things the way that you know everybody else has always done it. It was, we're worried that you're gonna hurt people. And that, how you draw that distinction is really, really important. But I, I think that I'm, I want to go back to the word hubris because I, I think it really fits because, and I also want to make the point, I think there will be lots of people going, well, you know, if I was building a submarine, of course I wouldn't do it like that. But actually <laughs> you, you used another phrase, which is go fast and break things. So for those of you who don't know, that is the Facebook, was it Facebook? That was Facebook's big thing. And yeah. for many years, it was used within the organization myself and Douglas worked as we need to be more like that. How much money they're making. That must be good. That, yeah. And so the so I I I think the hubris that enables a CEO to say we are somehow special 
and we don't need to follow the rules that other people follow is something that is not just true in SpaceX and OceanGate. I think that rolls through all organizations because this is a, a, a personal thing I have, which is I have learned, and actually to some degree, Douglas was the man who helped me learn this, which is whenever someone says, this is the way that is, it is understood to do it properly, but I am, we are somehow special. In I used to think, wow, we've got some geniuses. It's the next Steve Jobs. And that's often how it's portrayed. Yeah. I know something you don't. But actually what I realized was over the years, the word special and the euphemisms, the, the likeness really meant I choose not to do those things because I think they're stupid. Mm. And actually, more often than not, I'm in trouble. So I'm fascinated. I don't know if I've even asked you this, Douglas. Go fast and break things. Do you think that is a good motto or a bad motto or just a motto? Uh, it's all those things. And, and, and it's an unsatisfying answer. But I mean, this uh, the thing that I was reminded of, I mean, we've, we've been through an amazing technology change. It's funny, we talk about technology, but just think about the companies, the money that's been made, and and this the term that's I guess it's still around, but it was really much bigger, you know, twenty years ago. First mover advantage. Yeah. And we think, okay, we need to if we don't move fast and get there first, and we can get the high ground, and if a bunch of people die to get the high ground, life will be a lot easier for us at that point in time. And we will salute the people that died. Well, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't know the we're software engineers don't salute anybody, but the point <laughs> is that we that, that it, it, it's okay to, this ties back to technical debt. It doesn't it's okay if we leave this disaster behind us because nobody will care if we fail. So that idea about we need to move fast and get quicker, now you're basically allowing people to say what could we dispense with? And maybe you want to dispense with a bunch of stuff that slows you down. Mm. Maybe some of that dispensing stuff is kind of okay. Well, who decides what that is? And so yeah. the, the, the argument of first mover is like, it's life or death. We're going to make it. it, it We're you, going to make a your bunch of risk, money. Your, 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 uh, your uh, ability to accept risk is much higher in a life right, or death right. situation. But then when does that change? So I, I, I think that was actually, you said that's an unsatisfying answer. As, uh, however unsatisfying it might be, I think it's a good answer. The principle of go fast and break things, there is an interpretation of that, which I entirely agree with, which is be agile. You know, there's a yeah. language we've used. Trial um, things. Try things, yeah. iterate, experiment. Don't stick with the thing that keeps failing, then try something. Yeah. I like that. The bit that started to make me very uncomfortable, and I think this is a bit of hubris coming up that people didn't understand is, I can, you talked about making those I'm going to not do those safety protocols. I'm not going yeah. to test that software. I'm not going to architect it well. I'm going to get it out of the door. All of a sudden, it's an excuse to do things you know you should do, but say, I'm going faster. And in fact, I, yeah. I even like it The and break things. I wonder whether the go fast and break things was the bit that I, I agree with you. Last, in the last podcast I talked about when we took over from D Company, uh, two power in in Hangin and how they were doing things that we didn't do and hadn't trained to do and it felt weird and you asked Douglas you asked me um why why we didn't just change those things straight away and, and I said because you know you have to work out what is it that they're doing because that's their culture yeah. and what is it they're doing because they've learned the hard way and they've been on the ground and we hadn't and I think there's that's that's the point you want to there's a there's a brilliant phrase which i i really like which is sacred cows make the best beef burgers and it's the idea <laughs> that's a t-shirt you know, we're definitely gonna have to do a line of merch yeah absolutely but it's this idea that you know you get groupthink, you get these in, entrenched assumptions that once you question them suddenly they disappear and actually like it's obvious that we should have been doing it this new way you know how silly and i think that's where the move fast and break things kind of idea comes from it's we need to innovate we need to agile right. develop well, but we need to be will i would sorry but we would need to be willing to challenge certain assumptions yes that, that, that might for example have been considered a 
legitimate and safe choice. And yes. Well, if we if you want to be willing to give up on this part, we might get a really interesting little outcome over here that yeah. would be dramatically great. Yeah. But uh, you, I'm gonna let's. Why don't we just stop using this technology that's very very safe and predictable and adopt this crazy technology? Well, that sounds really unsafe. Yeah. But well, it, it might be worth it. But, but, <laughs> but it's but it's all this thing which is the the this really the the phrase go fast and breathing really does irritate me because it's an example of very poor communication yeah. that could mean anything yes, and, you, and, and you and get and well, you it, get to wrap yourself in this it's also, are you telling me facebook is wrong it also because, i think implies that breaking things is a sign of success yes and it's not breaking things like i think what is actually meant by that is if you break things by moving fast it's not the end of the world. No, well, tolerated. If I think you move back and break things, yes. you're doing the right but, thing. But we're, but if you're leaving a trail of destruction behind you, that's okay as long as you're getting ahead and forging new ground and finding new ideas. Yes. If you start measuring your success yes. based on how many things you've broken, that's a bad outcome. That's a bad outcome. Hooray! I broke four things. And, yeah, and this failed where, fast. And this, Look, I failed ten times this week. Yeah, and this is where I think the ocean gate thing got to where, yes where if you read those emails it it feels to me and, and it, it is my interpretation of you know, emails against you know, from a, a man that i've never met and, and unfortunately died in in this tragic accident but it feels to me like when people said you need to you need to stop you need to think about the risks you're taking there was almost a uh, well, you're part of the old guard, and we've moved beyond that. You, you know, we are we are innovating, and I think in one of the emails he actually talks about you know this that we're an innovative company, and this is where we're going, and this is why we're not doing it this old bureaucratic way that's slow, and 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 therefore almost as a kind of badge of honour is we're breaking the rules, and what you've got to do is is, is what you said, Douglas, is that you. Know, it's not it's okay to experiment and break the rules but but when you break rules you have it's risk management isn't it you have to accept that you are breaking a rule you have to positively decide to break that rule and you need to think about what the consequences I are think that's right. why is that rule in place how could we you know if we're going to break it what are the con potential consequences how can we mitigate those so, so building submersibles in a very different way brilliant you know, if we're yeah. going to build them out of carbon fiber that no one has ever done before, brilliant. But I sure as hell would want to go to the external assurance agencies and say, you've never seen a submersible like this, but we've done the calculations, we've done the engineering, we go think it's it. good. You know, go look at it. Yes. Not, we're going to dispense with all that bureaucratic nonsense because we're forging our own path. Here's, the, here's, the... here's the challenge, though. I mean, I, I agree with every word you say, but here's the challenge that what what we're saying is there was potentially a leader that said i can see something that no one else can see and the, you know spacex at the beginning people were like you guys are crazy the idea that you're going to have a reusable rocket <laughs> we're all going to laugh at you and then lo and behold all these rockets blow up and everyone laughs more and then all of a sudden he just made a reusable rocket. And so he yeah. he was a crazy man with hubris. Yeah. And it turns out he was right. We have another we, example. We remember, we remember the winners. We have another example, in this case, a tragedy where he was wrong. So here's the question for the group. How do you know whether you're one of the people who are with a crazy idea who is right? versus a crazy idea who should stop and reconsider because this is the problem well i think that language I, of I, stop I, and reconsider is the wrong language i think you you keep going but but of course well what, what elon musk didn't do is go you don't believe in me i'm a genius i know what i'm doing and therefore i'm going to ignore all your rules and i'm going to send people I, into space i think he, it's more nuanced though because I, I you're right and there is a fundamental difference between these two examples but this, this is may, maybe making this less life and death. There are people who go, I am a genius, follow me, we should go down this road. If I am that person, and myself and Douglas witnessed people who would turn up and say, we have, we have seen the future. And 
the future is this. So we are going to burn the boats. Everyone burn them. And like, but these boats are good boats and we've saved people and they make money. Burn them because might is great. How do you as that person know whether to say, where's the voice the back of the said stop? Because the whole definition of hubris is you believe you're right. Yeah. Name me a person who doesn't think they're right. Through history, just before that person blew up, it, he thought he was a genius versus the other person who was successful. They thought exactly the same things. But How do you know the difference? We've talked before about the, the value of diversity, the value of questioning authority, the value of loyal dissent. That's how you know. Well, so you don't you don't turn people turn people's ideas off. You challenge that's, them. You I test them. It's the scientific method. Isn't well, it? I think I think you that's build the point, evidence, which is but... if if evidence based and if if it is, I am going to change the world single handed. That is a that may not be the most effective way to do it because hmm. I'm going to change the world surrounded by people who also want to change the world, some of which will agree with me and some of which will say, yeah. boss, you're a bit crazy and it's important. We, we should probably take a quick break, but I'm, I happen to know secretly, um, you've got an interesting real world case of an example where perhaps the leader believes they are in the category of the I'm doing something that you might not agree with, but I I am right. So maybe when we come back, we can explore that a bit because I think that could be illustrative for our audience to hear what is a very real world example, albeit heavily anonymized. Absolutely. Welcome back. We we sort of got onto this idea of hubris and how do you, if you know you're the next Steve Jobs versus the next, and I'm trying to think of someone who wasn't successful, but as Douglas pointed out, you only remember the winner's stories. Um, Gareth, we've we over many many episodes we've talked about what makes good leaders, and we've you know we're not, I'm not going to trot out all the sort of statements we've said, but. We, you, you found an example which I think you you read out to me, and I sat there open mouthed in terms of if this wasn't a real world case, I would suggest you were making this up as a sort of textbook example. Yeah. Um, can you can you can you tell us about what what you came across? Yeah. So I've got to be careful because the the person who sent me this case uh, is a friend of mine, uh, and I don't want to get them into an awkward position. So this is a, a business that is currently making a loss. So there are some fundamental problems. And my friend suggested to the owner of the company that there are some fundamental flaws in the way that they are measuring success. And we've talked about the difference between measuring performance and measuring effectiveness. And I think that is crucial to this. He works on the operations side. He works on the operations side of this business. And there was disconnect between different parts of the business. And we, we've absolutely explored the, the need to, to get people to empathize and communicate with different aspects of the business. That was certainly lacking. And people in this business are, are leaving and they are becoming ill, actually, because of stress and, and all sorts of things. So all of the things that you absolutely... Warning want, signs. Warning signs that yeah. things are not going well. Um, and so he wrote down a, a whole series of suggestions and also highlighted some of the problems. And the response he got back, and I'm not going to read it word for word. Well, and, and, and I, I, and I you, you know, you've shared earlier, the, the initial message to, to the boss was actually very well thought out articulate. So it wasn't oh, crazy, it was. yeah, you're crazy, we shouldn't do this. It was actually very thoughtfully written. And it was an offer of help. And it was absolutely written in that tone, yeah. which was, you know, hey, I am, yeah. So. so I'm paraphrasing, of course, but the response that this individual got back was, thanks for your input. And I, I know this comes from a good place. However, it's easy to follow a textbook business way of doing things 
but previous examples have told us that actually successful businesses aren't run off an academic textbook. They're run from innovative entrepreneurs, even mavericks, who use their drive and determination to be successful. And then goes on to say, I don't think I'm necessarily that person, but I have been extremely successful. And the final bit of this, uh, the, the email continues for talking about the specific points, but the final, final put, point that I think is relevant is, he says here, everything you say is correct, but it doesn't apply to our specific circumstances. Oh, is this we're special? We're special. But they're still, they're still losing money. But they're still losing money. People are still going off sick. People, and and this is for me the the archetype of hubris, where there is tangible, measurable things that are going wrong. There are flashing warning signs, and yet the the owner of the business says, "I've been successful in the past. I believe in myself." If we keep going, it'll sort itself out. I'm right, you're wrong. I know you've done a you know, magical business degree, but all your school book thinking is going to, you know, that's generic. This is my business. I understand that we're, we're right. You know, we're going to keep going. And, and that is absolutely the, the hubris that I'm talking about. And I've worked with organizations. I don't think I've ever worked in an organization that's quite that. Bad, well, I, 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 I should it. say so. I've, I've heard the unanonymized version of this, and frankly, it was one of the most shocking emails I've ever heard. And actually, I think clearly to anonymize it, you softened it, but it was appalling. It was effectively the person who wrote the email was told, shut, shut, up, but no, shut up and sit down yeah. in, in almost no uncertainty. Yeah. In fact, there was almost a threat in there. Yeah. The language was such, there was no written threat, but there was a, you should not be doing this. You should not be even thinking about this. You don't get it. Don't get it. And this is yeah, language This is language that myself and Douglas have heard over many years is the, 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 alarm, the alarm words are, or the sort of, I don't know, the, the safety of, words in are. In times of crisis, you don't get it. You yeah. don't get it. And I think this was an example. Yeah, I think there's a, you know, a potential counter argument to this where you can point to lots of examples, SpaceX, for example, where for a long time they were blowing up rockets. And I'm sure there were probably employees that, you know, helpfully wanted to suggest to, to Elon course. that Absolutely, yeah. we're on a path to failure, we're burning up money, we're going to, this is going to implode. So, so how do you get that balance right? And I, this is why it comes back to that. It's measurement of effectiveness rather than measurement of performance. What is it you're trying to achieve? And in this case, they are a going concern and they, are, and they are losing money. So they're not trying to grab market share, mm. deliberately yeah, not, making not, a they're loss. They're not doing the first move. Right yeah, deliberately making a loss now because there's a strategic plan and they need to get to a place. And so there is a tangible measurement of effect. They're losing money mm. when they produce stuff. So what they're doing now is clearly wrong. There is a, a balance of cash flow, of operating costs, of profit margins, of yeah. all these things that need to be looked at, the way they're operating. And there's a whole load of detail that I'm absolutely not going to go into because my friend has asked me for, for some advice and, and, and that's not relevant. But there is definitely things they could do if they had the humility to say what currently is happening isn't working. What is happening is every time somebody presents some of this evidence, the, the owner of the company says, yeah, that's okay. I'm willing to accept that because it's good for our brand. In this particular case, we, there is an example of someone who is demonstrating this hubris we've talked about. I believe I am right. I believe that only I have the answer. And in the face of reasonably compelling evidence, I am so confident in myself, I am willing to potentially alienate a member of the team who's reaching out to help me. How do you change that? What would you do, Gareth, to get that person to say, huh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. I am now willing to engage in at least the beginning conversation. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think 
I would probably try and look for somebody within the same sector who has been more successful and therefore in a business that is where this individual wants to go to then say, if you want to get to where I am, I learned the hard way, don't make the same mistakes. And it shouldn't be a, I've heard that you're making all these mistakes, stop it. It should be a, if, you know, let's have a, because from my experience, people who believe they are entrepreneurs, successful, want to talk to other already successful people. Successful people like to talk about their success as well. So getting somebody from a bigger organization that's already further ahead in that, that journey to say, I hear you're doing really well. You know, you're probably destined to get to, you know, be on a similar journey to where I'm going and, and where I've been. So let's go for a beer and have a chat and and then subtly sort of introduce the... It's difficult, isn't it? Don't make the, these mistakes that I made early on and learned the hard way so that they reflect on that and go, well, that's exactly, that's exactly what I am I, doing. I think, I mean, I the first thing there is you've got to ask the right questions, otherwise you're trying to solve the wrong problem or the, yeah. r- the right problem in the wrong order. I also think it's really difficult. I could hear in your mm. voice you're going... So yeah. this isn't easy because what we're saying is how do you take a passionate, yeah. dedicated yeah, yeah, human yeah. being and get them to open themselves up? So I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask the same question a different way. Douglas, how would you go about trying to get this person to be open to a different way of thinking? I'm kind of surprised you would ask this question <laughs> because it is about a matter of perspective and whoever owns the, 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 the playground, owns the sandbox, gets to decide what they want to do. And you, as a, as a product owner, are like, listen, there's a bunch of things happening in, in business meetings that you don't all know about, and this is what we're working on. And here is, if the parallel is reasonable enough, here's an engineer saying, there's all these things that I can see that, of course, are universally valued, are not working well. And they go to the person above them and say, why aren't you spending on these items and these items? And you're like, you don't understand. And so your value, what you want the organization to do, or the things that you think are are the ones, the issues that matter have diverged. Now, in this business, every widget they make, they're losing money on. That seems like a tangibly bad problem. And your, your friend is clearly concerned about that, seemingly more concerned than the owner. Yeah. You will never win that argument because nobody asked your opinion. Yeah. Well, I'm doing it for a bunch of reasons you don't understand. The answer is a bit of a, it's not your problem. Of course, it will be the problem because you're basically told somebody who says, these are the things I need to optimize for our business to be successful as me as an employee of it. You've just told me those aren't the things that matter. Well, then what do I let go of that matters? And so you've, and I think that your stories of engineers are like, you've just told me that these things are more important than those things. I don't, what do I stop doing? And what do I keep doing? Mm -hmm. And now we don't, we no longer have alignment about what's valuable. The fact that this person has sent an impassioned letter is a warning sign that someone who's actually critical to the business has lost connection to what the new value system is, whether it's a good one or not, it doesn't matter. There's the new one. That's, that's really, that's really important. Well said, which is, which is, it might be that this person is actually a genius and we can't see the or genius. Not. Or not. But, but that is a separate problem yeah. from the fact of what your friend has effectively told you without explicitly saying it is, I am lost. Yeah. I am yeah. I am no longer connected Don't to the mission. About these whether whether yeah. it's the right or wrong mission, yeah. we've, we've almost conflated those two yeah. things together, which is it's the wrong mission. So I just have to convince you to, no, no, there's, yeah. there's two separate things whether it's the right or wrong mission, but the connected. So, I mean, I, I, I asked the, the question genuinely because I don't have a fabulous answer, but this idea of how do you get people to reevaluate their position is something that as product people, we have to do all the time. Mm. And I have to believe as a military person, you had to do. Yeah. You're saying- A senior person. I, a, 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 a senior, senior person. person. Yeah. 
who has got there through potentially merit, experience. In other words, they already have high credibility. And you're saying, we should not take the troops ashore there, sir. Yeah. We should go around the corner. And how do you get people to do that? You know, it's the, yeah. and I know this is apocryphal, the bridge too far, sir, I don't think we should go there because there's an armored division. You don't need to worry about this, we're clever with you. But so the, the, the I, I do not declare this to be an answer. Maybe this is a strategy, which is, I think the, the secret of changing I don't want to say changing people's minds because that's not what I'm trying to do, but to be to be open to the discussion, to yeah. engage in it, is to find a way to understand and align to that person's goals. So in this particular case, the statement seems to be the brand is more important than the numbers. I'm I'm I don't know that that's necessarily true in this in this literal case, but yeah. let's let's assume that. Okay. I think that's been used as an excuse in this. Every time somebody presents evidence, it's a good e excuse. E even, even then, though, there's a there's a bit of leverage there that yeah. allows you to get a bit closer, which is, okay, so if, if, if your friend goes and talks about the numbers, that seems to be a brick wall. But I the numbers are not something that I am, in different ways saying, he has indicated he is, in this case, more interested in brand than numbers. Good. So let's okay, align yeah, to the brand. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me talk about how the things we are doing might damage the brand. Now, then you be agile. Yeah. Actually, it turns out I don't really care about the brand. I just said that to get you off my back. Okay, what do you care about? And you, you sorry, I pointed at you. That, you <laughs> but Doug, um, uh, uh, Gareth, you said, find someone who has been more successful. So what you've just said is, I think this person is motivated by some element of success yeah. and your yeah. hypothesis yeah. is if i can find someone who they say oh, i want to be like you you have found a way in yeah i don't know what the right answer is but the thing that i think i learned and i did wrong in my first few years is if i just tell you the truth yeah or give you the information in a compelling enough fashion it will be so powerful and persuasive you will abandon your previously closely held beliefs and you will celebrate, sing songs. Yeah. You will marry, get me to marry your daughter and it will all be good. That never happens. Not that I've tried to marry someone's daughter, by the way. Yeah. There's always secret reasons you don't know. Secret no, reasons. They have to be good ones. Could be like, yeah, because yeah. somebody else told me that's what we have to do today. Yeah. So, so maybe in this case, and I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of doing agony art stuff, which is the worst consultancy, but actually is the first step to get in front of the CEO and say, you know what, boss, you said some really interesting things in your email. Talk to me more about that. And I think, Douglas, you used this word for many years with me, which was very, very powerful and disarming. I don't understand. Not as in you're crazy, it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I what am I'm I missing? Miss, I'm missing yeah. something. And, and don't get me wrong, you might communicate something to me that I go, yeah, you're crazy. That's quite likely mm. given I saw the email and so the, the, the craziness is quite possible. But it also might be, as you say, yeah, it turns out I, uh, I'm selling the business and I don't care about the numbers but actually it's how many times I'm mentioned in the press. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, well, whether that's right yeah. or wrong, that, that's yeah. what, what is his measure of success? What is his goal? What is his motivation? And at least that gives you an opportunity to say, can I align my beliefs to those things in a way that allows you to say, do you know, or not? Or not. Do you know yeah. what? I, I understand by doing, the, by us running the business in this way, it, I see the short-term benefit yeah. we're getting, but by the way, let me tell you, in six months' time, this bad thing will happen. Do you care about that? Oh, yeah, that's a fair point. I, I, I think there's, there's an example of what could be seen as radical breaking your safety cases that, that worked very, very well, which is uh, a unit called the 5th Armoured Cavalry Regiment in... Uh, in Iraq in 2005, commanded by Colonel McMasters, who, who went on to be General McMasters. But the radical breaking of the safety case was done by the soldiers on the ground, not driven by the ego of the commander. But what, what happened was 
McMaster's said, why are you doing this? And what they did was they cut the armour off the top of the Humvees. They literally took angle grinders to them and cut them off. And the reason was, while they were driving through the built-up area of a, a town called Talafar, the insurgent forces would pop out with rocket-propelled grenades and shoot them. And in these armoured turrets that were built on the top of the Humvees, they were having to mechanically rotate them around to get the machine gun. And by the time they did it, it was too late. And what they needed to do was to be agile enough to, to shoot quickly. So they cut the armour off and they gave the top gunners, rather than a mounted 50 calibre machine gun, shotguns. And they cut the top off and, and they were super effective. But they were cutting the armour off a vehicle. And it would have been very easy for McMaster's to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? That is breaking the rules. You know, that's a safety case. If people die, I'm going to be held accountable. Mm. We're not doing it. But he didn't. He said, why are you doing this? Does it work? Let's do some experiments. Okay, it works. Let's do it. And I will take, mm. I will take this fight to the Pentagon, who are you know, clearly really annoyed that you're cutting armour off vehicles in a war. That, to me, is, is how you do radical innovation based around the requirement to rapidly innovate in a changing situation. I think the opposite, from another military example, is what we're currently seeing in, in Russia and Ukraine, where you've got a, a leader in Vladimir Putin who has arguably got himself to a point where his self delusions of grandeur or whatever it is and i'm not you know like there are far far more informed people than me that will psychoanalyze putin but however he's got to where he is he's now at a point where he's so far into the rabbit hole mm. he's not willing to listen or understand the reality and so any kind of attempt to say we need to do things differently is going to be incredibly difficult because he's created the conditions, the culture in the organisation, such that people will only tell him what he wants to hear. And, and going back to early conversations, I'm, I'm imagining, I could be wrong here, I'm wildly speculating, it's because he thought, I'm special. The rules don't apply to me. Yeah. And so therefore, while other people would have a group of people around them who would say, boss, I don't think we should be doing this. In fact, we've talked about this in the past. You are the person that says, I am the craziest Russian president in the world and I will not have you shot because I need you to tell me I'm crazy. I need you to tell yeah. me why. Um, and I think you can, special. See, you can see that journey over the 20 odd years that Putin has been in power where he, he has slowly gone down that, yeah, we've seen it in history before, authoritarian, autocratic route where what starts as centralising, organising efficiency very quickly becomes rooting out inefficiency and therefore rooting out dissent that becomes then the focus is on removing any kind of negative perception. You start to believe your own propaganda. You isolate yourself from the reality and, and then it becomes the now having to maintain the facade maintain the fantasy and that's how far down we, the rabbit hole that i think and i think we have we this is a good point to say everyone listening should be very 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 careful at this point because i would imagine i would say yeah putin's crazy he shouldn't be doing that but as as leaders as managers as senior people this point applies to each and every one of us every day. This stuff is more common than you might think. And we are wired as human beings, both in terms of how we are trained as leaders and as human beings to believe I'm not the crazy one, they're the crazy one. Yes. And therefore, rather than say, I should doubt myself, that's not what we're saying, but it's you should build systems around you that give checks and balances, that give different voices I, I think I might have told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because Douglas will be smiling on the end of the podcast that you can't see, which is I once was working on a project and there was, a, there was another team that had been spun up for this 
very important project. It was around, um, around how you make uh, pages that automatically resize themselves depending on whatever device you're on. And this brains trust were brought together for this critically important thing for the future of our business. Time critical. Time critical as well, urgent. And I could see that this team were not going to create anything of value. There was lots of activity, there was lots of demos, but with experience and a number of the people I could say, if you take two steps back, you will see what you are doing is not going to work for, for various competent reasons. And I went to my boss and thought, I am going to go and speak to my boss who is bought into this, but I'm going to give him an insight. And I'm, I said to him, I think you need to look carefully because it is not clear to me you are going to get what you expect or want. And at that point, as a younger product manager, I thought he will turn around, shake my hand and say, thank you. You've, you've prevented a terrible mistake. I will now promote you. This will all be fantastic. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, he did not say that. In fact, he turned around to me and said, you know, Chris, you're talking about what they're going to deliver. I think you should worry about what you're going to deliver. It was, I, you know, I, I, this is a I'm now quite a long way into my career and I can say this terrible thing. There are points in my career when I have made decisions about people and that was the magical moment. At that point, immediately in my head, he, he fell into the slot of, this is not a person who I want to be managed by because you just threatened me. Yeah. You passive aggressively threatened me when I was trying to tell you some important information. Well, well, look, I, I think we started this podcast talking about the how do you know your message is getting through uh, and, and about communication. And we've gone on this journey looking at hubris and, and arrogance in, in leadership. And I think for me, those two things are very, very closely related. We, we've talked a lot about the value of communication and it has to be two way. So for me, the, the takeaway here is, you know, as a, as a subordinate, you have to have the humility to recognize that as you see things, you might be missing the wider point. And, and I think you're, you keep bringing that up, Douglas, and that's, that's really, really important. As a leader or as a manager, you need to recognize that if somebody approaches you with bad news, that isn't them trying to necessarily be destructive or cynical or negative there is either a problem that needs to be analysed or a miscommunication yeah. that needs to be discussed and, and ironed out. But you absolutely want to encourage that behaviour. You want to encourage the, the confidence in people to say, I believe in the goal. I'm not sure we're going the right way about it because that's how you identify that either you aren't heading towards achieving that goal or you have failed to communicate. I think the other thing is, you have to then recognize that there's a difference between what you think is happening and what they think is happening. And that comes back to, are they working on the wrong thing or are they working on the right thing, but you're not aware of it. And therefore we need to do some realignment. And then, and then finally, if every time this happens, you, you back it off with an either yes in general, but we're different and we're special, or we don't want to hear bad news. There's a serious problem with the way that you deal with what is a very very valuable trait in your team which is people bringing problems to the surface um, and it's something that the air crash investigation and air safety industry oh, yeah. learned you know a long time ago and learned the hard way is that you have to have an open honest discussion and there should be no criticism of people bringing problems to the surface you know, if you have a view about that problem not being that important because strategically you've accounted for it, you're going in a different direction, you're taking risks, but you've accounted for it, then, then explain that and have that discussion. If you haven't, then it needs to be explored. So I think humility is, is probably the key for, for me this week in terms of traits yeah. that leaders need okay, to have. 100%. Well, look, 
thank you, Douglas, for joining us. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. For, for those people who like this podcast, um, a, a tip of the hat to Douglas, because I think without some of the conversations we'd had, we wouldn't be having these conversations. So thank you for flying 4,000 miles. I don't know how far it is, but 4,000. It sounds, right. a long it sounds way. about right. Um, I haven't got the heart to tell you we could have done this on Zoom and you could have stayed in, in Seattle, uh, but very, very glad to hear in person. So uh, Douglas, thank you for coming over. Uh, it's a pleasure. And, and it's it's one of the things that attracted me to the podcast was that there's I've always been interested in how people do their thing. And people have different parts of organizations and companies and, and things, and they see the world differently. And it's fascinating to talk to them and see, oh, there's an interesting parallel. And we don't have that parallel because we don't do it that way. So when you think, oh, here's a simple rule about how to do what you do, it doesn't really work because the constraints matter. And I've always found that very interesting. I think that our conversations over the time really revealed that, well, this is how the world I come from. And here's why these matter. And while we might come up with a very different answer, why is that? And that always seems very interesting. And it just comes from that sense of, humility of oh tell me what your world is like because it's yeah. probably really interesting and uh so I, i've enjoyed hearing your stories immensely wonderful well i i know that we wrote bullet points and stuff and we didn't get through all of it so you are welcome back anytime <laughs> but for now um thank you very much we hope you enjoyed listening to the last two series with douglas waterfall Thanks very much. You know where to find us. We're on Twitter at Battling with Biz, and we're also available on email at battlingwithbusiness at gmail.com. And as you've seen, this is a perfect example of someone who said, I've got some views and I've got some questions. So don't be afraid and tell us where we're going wrong. But for now, thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Cheerio.